0: wherever you get your podcasts. This
1: is an Irish Independent Podcast. Hello and welcome to Real Health with me, Carl Henry. How many people do you know who actually love change? Maybe you love change. Or like so many of us out there, myself included, the thought of change is completely daunting and should be avoided at all costs. Does it have to be that way, though? Should we actually be embracing change more and the opportunities that come with it? Well, this week on Real Health, we are talking about exactly that with consultant clinical psychologist Dr. Claire Hayes. Claire, welcome to the show. How's it going?
0: Thank you very much, Carl. Great, and I'm delighted to be here. Thank you.
1: So, what stops people from embracing change? Let's let's start with that. We'll, we'll take it from there. So, you know, before we embrace it, what stops people from wanting to embrace it? Is it a fear a failure or I, I, th-
0: I think it's a combination of things. So if you think of change means moving from where we're at at the moment. So if we're comfortable where we are at the moment, we might not want change. We might be afraid of it. We might think that where we are is better. Other people might be telling us, you know what, you're better off to stay where you are. So, for instance, if someone is interested in changing your job and thinking about it, loads of different people will come up with advice that, no, 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 stay where you are. And then they might be giving Proof for examples of other people who made a change and they weren't happy it didn't work out. So we can fool ourselves sometimes that we're better to stay where we are. We can think we're not able for the uncomfortableness that does come with change. You're absolutely right. You know, we're stretching, we're growing, we're moving. So it can be complicated. And, you know, I think also it might be just plain laziness. We might just think, you know what, <laughs> here I am. And I know I could be in a better situation. And the example I I've used is if we're lying sunbathing or relaxing and reading and we just aren't in a comfortable spot, we know we're pro- we probably would feel better if we just got up and moved. But ah, it's too much effort. So there can be lots of different reasons.
1: And there's sometimes we we, we think, you know, is it, too much or do we overestimate how much change how much discomfort there's going to be in the change do we make it a bigger issue than actually reality makes it?
0: yes we do or we can do and carl we also can massively underestimate our own ability so one of the things that can keep us stuck is a sense of maybe embarrassment or shame or fear of you know i don't want to let myself down i don't want to be seen to be an embarrassment to other people I don't want to set myself up as I'm going to make all these changes and then not be able to follow it through. So fear of change, as I said, can be complex and it can be related to external factors and also our own internal factors, our own thoughts and our core beliefs. And I suppose that's my particular area and passion in terms of the CBT, Cognitive Behavioural Therapy.
1: And do you think some nationalities are better at change? So I'm comparing like almost, in, of, but, but it's stereotyping, the American persona strikes me as they want. They, they don't fear failure as much as maybe Irish people do. That Irish people are a bit more happier to be safe and in that kind of comfort zone. And maybe other nationalities are really good at just going for it, throwing caution to the wind and having, having a go. Or am yeah. I totally wrong?
0: No, no, I think you're right. I don't know enough about, you know, people in other nationalities. I'd be just basing it on, on my own experiences traveling and, and what I've read. But certainly for me, it comes back to it's not the change. It's the meaning of the change or it's not the not being it it not working out well is what does that mean and I think as Irish people we're incredibly hard on ourselves and quick to put ourselves down quick to blame ourselves quick to judge ourselves harshly and also in fairness other people might be quick to do that too to us so if we do something like again changing a job or changing a course in college can be very very difficult to do or changing if somebody's doing a particular thesis and It's not working out for them. They're doing their PhD and they want to change. There's a fear of what if I don't? And it's seen as failure. And I think our view of failure in the Irish culture is very, very different in certainly to the Americans, whereas it might be seen by other people as that's something I've tried. It didn't work out. Isn't it great? I've tried. Now I can try something else. For someone who's not feeling particularly confident in themselves in the first place, putting themselves out there to change, to try something new and it not working, they can just dive back into their cave and not want to try it again.
1: And of course, we compare to others as well, don't we? Comparison is is a huge issue when it comes to like, I'm grand, I'm a bit better off than maybe they are. So I'm just going to stay here because it's kind of comfortable and quite safe.
0: Yes. Max Ehrman wrote a wonderful poem called Desiderata. You might be familiar with it. And he has some lines in it. Do not compare yourself to others. For always there will be greater and lesser people than ourselves. And I don't know about the greater or lesser, but certainly there would be people who are more experienced, less experienced, people who are more confident, less confident. So comparing ourselves to others is something that certainly with the people I'm privileged to meet and to work with is a huge thing. And usually the comparison is that people aren't as good as they're they're just not as good as and we know that that can trigger then a sense of feeling worthless and then a sense of, well, why bother? And in your work, you'd know that. People aren't motivated and it's not that they're not able to physically get out there and do it. It's a sense of I'm not going to be as good as everybody else. So I'm better to stay where I am and nobody know that rather than publicly shame myself as as they might be thinking.
1: And do you find in the modern day that, that, that there's more prevalence of that with the likes of Instagram of the oversharing of society that we have that people are never going to be as good as that person, you know, who's a blogger or who's or I'm never going to be as fit as or toned as or happy as or, you know, that that, that the way society is now that we all do it. And are you seeing more of that in practice?
0: Yes, absolutely. And, you know, people forget that the pictures we look at have been airbrushed, you know, so what is actually true, what is actually genuine? It can be hard to tell, but. Our own perception of ourselves can be very, very, very different to the actual um, truth. So in in my work, I I help people understand the difference between perception and reality. So people might perceive themselves as ugly or not as good as or less than or stupid or whatever it is. And then they compare themselves to lots and lots and lots of people to prove that. And then if someone says, but you're way better than somebody else. Because deep down they don't believe that they are, then they will dismiss that. That would just not get in. So there's a selective bias then to compare themselves with situations or people that will actually prove their own underlying sense of not being good enough.
1: And of course, that you said it before—that all leads to a sense of hopelessness. Yes, which ties in with, from a mental health perspective, then presumably yes. your anxiety, your depression—they yes. all that it, it interlinks to that, doesn't it?
0: Absolutely. Professor Martin Seligman is an American psychologist, and he's done a lot of work in a thing called learned hopelessness and learned helplessness. Actually, and learned helplessness can lead to hopelessness. So, with depression, my my understanding of depression. There are three definitions that can apply. One is anger turned inwards. So someone might come across as being really kind, really wonderful, but they're seething mostly towards themselves. And again, linked, Carl, to the comparing piece, the comparison piece. They're just not good enough. The second definition is a sense of learned helplessness. I can't. I just can't. I'm just not able. I can't. And the third then is a sense of hopelessness. And this is really linked with depression, a sense of hopelessness about the self, the world, the future. So if you apply that to a situation of change, even if the person is feeling really uncomfortable where they are, there can be a sense of what's the point? I'm not going to be able to do it. I'm never going to be doing it as good as X or Y. I'm better off to stay where I am. And then that sense of hopelessness can feed into an underlying sense of worthlessness. Then people's behavior can change. So I'm into really cognitive behavioral therapy. So my understanding of it is there are three aspects. So how people are, what people are thinking, how people are feeling and what people are doing. And it's very easy for us to focus on feelings, feeling fed up. I'll do it when I feel better. I'll change when I feel more confident. I see feelings as something that makes sense, but we can't believe them. Mm-hmm. We can't trust
1: that, that idea of the you know the think feel and do. Yes, yeah, it's yeah. It's
0: it's very very simple, and I think that's why I, I just love it. I, my background is in teaching, and I just really love the opportunity to teach these basic principles. So so
1: don't trust your feelings. It's, it's so quite, don't trust your feelings. Yeah. Yes.
0: So and and this is different. I mean, people say trust your feelings, and the reason I don't is coming back to the feeling of anxiety. So we know that anxiety is a reaction to either danger and or what we think is danger, perceived danger. So if you went into your kitchen and the smoke alarm was going off, you might immediately think, oh, I must get that fixed. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to feel maybe irritated or relaxed. But if you think there's a fire, you're going to feel anxious, or maybe panicky. If you were in a situation where you were in a fire a few years previously, you'd be gone. As soon as you'd hear that smoke alarm, you'd be gone. So our feelings of anxiety are a response, a warning response based on what we think is danger and or what is danger. But just because we feel that physical feeling, the sick feeling in our tummy, clammy hands, sweatiness, that doesn't necessarily mean that there's danger. A lot of times it doesn't. So somebody approaching change, something new, they're quite likely going to feel all of that anxiety stuff, Mm -hmm. somebody going back to college or somebody going for the first time or somebody taking on a marathon or whatever their challenge is, they're going to feel anxious about it. And if we start to judge that anxiety as something wrong and think, oh, I'll wait till I feel better, it doesn't work. It'll never happen. It'll never happen. There's so many children since COVID who have got into staying at home. The whole school anxiety stuff has exploded because they feel anxious. And then if we as adults support them or enable them to wait until you feel better, it doesn't work. So we have, I use an inverted triangle and I use three steps to explain cognitive behavioral therapy. So the first is to catch what are we thinking, how are we feeling, what are we doing? So with change, putting change in the middle, somebody's thinking, I can't, it's too much, I'm never going to be able It's not going to be worth the effort, no matter how hard I try, I'm never going to get there. So they're feeling demoralized, hopeless, helpless, frustrated, probably angry with themselves because they're probably thinking, I should do this. Everybody's telling me I should. And then action, they're into blaming themselves, comparing themselves unfavorably. Possibly doing what I call watching scary movies in their head of the future. So if I'm like this now, what am I going to be like in three months time, six months time? They might be replaying movies from the past. Why did I do that? I should have done that. They might be bottling up their feelings and might be talking about their feelings incessantly to friends, to family. They might be judging themselves, probably are very harshly that there's something wrong with them. So catching what they're thinking, how they're feeling, what they're doing doesn't necessarily make someone feel better. Oftentimes they might feel embarrassed or ashamed and it can feel overwhelming. And if somebody thinks this isn't going to work anyway, then they might not feel any different. So we have the first step, catch what you're thinking, how you're feeling, what you're doing. If that's all we did, that wouldn't work. The second step then are four questions. Question one, do your feelings make sense? So if someone is feeling frightened or demoralized or hopeless or scared because they think they're not going to be able to do something or they have a history of trying whatever the situation is and in quotes failing, failing, failing. Does it make sense for them to feel worried, upset, scared? In my view, of course it does. It does for two reasons. It does because of the external story, their pattern, whatever's been going on and or usually and they makes their feelings make sense based on what they're thinking And what they're doing. So acknowledging our feelings as making sense is really important. Mm -hmm. The second question of four, are their thoughts helpful or unhelpful? Not positive or negative. And I really go with Martin Seligman on this, that the positive thinking doesn't work if we don't believe it.
1: Yeah, and everything we've chatted about so far in terms of change is coming back to belief really, isn't it? It is. It is. If you believe it enough you'll make that trigger in the chain change. And even on, on, a, on, a, on a personal level, my first big anxiety attack when I was in Smurfit Business School, halfway through the course, during the exams, in a big exam hall. And that was, my, my trigger point was, I can't literally, it was my first big anxiety attack. I got up, which I would never have done. I walked out of the room, walked to the principal. I said, that's it, I'm done. I, and that was the trigger yes. and the, the the change was, okay, if I leave here, what are we gonna do? i have got to pay for the course, I've got to whatever. It was to build a business model around work and say so, okay, how can I, build a, a brand, how can I you know, build a brand and so on and so forth. But the belief was, A, I backed myself that this there's a niche for the work that I want to do. And because of that, I'm gonna get up, I'm gonna walk out of the room and make the changes that need to happen to enable me to start work and do all the bits and pieces. So that self-belief is crucial.
0: Absolutely. So I mentioned four questions. So question three is, what do we believe? OK, so the piece just about the thoughts. So thoughts are either helpful or unhelpful. So and the difference if you're in an airplane and the door falls off, a positive thought might be great. We're getting some fresh air in. <laughs> it's not helpful. So a lot of the thoughts that we might think are negative could actually be very helpful and the other way around. So the third question, exactly what you said, what do we believe? And a lot of times we believe things about ourselves or others that aren't true. And the example, the two examples I use, people believe the world was flat and people believe the Titanic wouldn't sink. So my job is to help people explore what they actually believe. So what do they believe about change? What's so bad about not doing whatever the first time? Well, then they might look stupid, what's so bad about looking stupid, then people might not like them. What's so bad about that? So if we keep going down, what's so bad using what's called Socratic questioning, we get to their core belief and they're usually fairly black and white. People believe they're not good enough or they must never fail or everybody else is depending on them or they must always do things perfectly or whatever it is. So we can't change someone's core belief, Mm -hmm. but we can put a question mark in. Maybe that's not true. The same with ourselves, maybe it's okay. maybe if I give it a go, maybe I'll be helping other people by actually showing I can try something. And if it doesn't work, then I have a plan B or a plan C. And then the inverted triangle, question four is action. Are your actions helpful or unhelpful? And this is your work, as I know very much so. And some of the actions we do are very helpful. Some of them aren't. So procrastinating, waiting until we feel better, not helpful putting ourselves down comparing ourselves not helpful but or a eating
1: of, a chocolate bar maybe chocolate or bar. if it's a, if it's a health goal or, or you know Th-
0: then it comes to intensity frequency duration so mm-hmm. eating a chocolate bar fine if it's a one yeah. but eating 20 eating them really quickly that we don't even notice crucifying ourselves afterwards. So then the third step is what I call the ABC coping sentence so a acknowledge I feel so going back to change I feel worried I feel mm-hmm. upset. I feel frustrated, B, because I think I should have done this long ago or B, because I think I'm not good enough or B, because I think everybody else is so much better. And then C is choose. And this is the power. So, but I choose to breathe slowly, a very clear breathing exercise. It's very simple to do that. We can help ourselves camera adrenaline and distract from our thoughts. But I choose to give myself every chance I love that one because when I choose to give myself every chance and I remind myself of that, automatically I eat better, exercise better, sleep better, but I choose to give it a go.
1: So it's the awareness of stepping back from the decision. Yes. To be aware of the decision before you do it, first of all. Yes. And then B, it's it's giving yourself permission to to take that choice, whether to have it or to do it or not to do it or to spend it or not to spend it or whatever.
0: Yes. Yeah, yes. so it's
1: that self-awareness, stepping back from the decision. Yes. And in financial terms, Owen McGee calls it the 72-hour rule, that if, if you still want something bad enough after 72 hours, yes. you know, go buy it. Yes. And it, yes. But it, so it's like that. It's stepping back, being aware, and then giving some permission to make that choice.
0: Absolutely. And acknowledging our feelings. There's nothing wrong with this because we feel however we feel. So with change, change is hard. It's stretching. It's doing something that we haven't been used to so it's so welcoming that welcoming that we're doing something even though it's difficult and then giving ourselves a credit I choose to be kind to myself it sounds very very simple the compassion self-compassion yeah. and compassion for others but that really is the core of any kind of treatment in helping anybody make change
1: We've covered a lot of ground. Whew, deep breath, everybody, for listening in. We, uh, uh, this has been great because it, it's a real deep dive into kind of change. And, and so to, I suppose to recap, the key thing is that change is scary mm-hmm. for all of us. Yes. Pretty much. Uh, the self-belief is really important before you make that change. And we would say to clients who come who come looking to tra- tra- train with us, why do you want to come? Why Why do you want to do it? And that why, that belief part has to be really strong yes. for the change to really happen. Uh, So the self-belief thing is really important. C, then we're telling that awareness piece of stepping back from decisions, being really conscious of them and aware of them. And then D, if I'm right, is the choice and the choosing and giving yourself the kind of permission to to choose those, to make the right decisions that you want.
0: Yes. Yes, that sums it up. Um, different ABC. I have A acknowledge, B because, C choose. But the, the points that you mentioned, Carl, absolutely were on the same page here.
1: It's been great to catch up. If people want to contact you or work with you, where can they where can they, they find you?
0: I suppose my website is probably the easiest, and that's um, the email address is info at drclairehayes.ie. So that's all one word D or
1: Amazing. And keep writing in the paper. I know you had an article in the Irish Independent recently as well That's to nice. keep up the good work. Yes. It's been great to have you in. Folks, I really hope you enjoyed today's episode of Real Health with me, Carl Henry. You know where we are, as always, Real Health at independent.e at PT on Instagram. If you have any questions, send them over and don't forget to rate and review as well. Have a wonderful week. Make those changes and we'll see you next week. Sláon go full.